Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to come and acknowledge you as Lord and King this morning. Lord, we acknowledge you in spite of all the the hardships and pains that we might be going through, Lord, to acknowledge you as King of our lives. So what an amazing time of year to celebrate who you are, to celebrate you coming into our world and to engaging with us. So thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us so much. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts right now to hear from you. Lord, that we wouldn't hear from Sam, that we would hear from you. And you would use this broken, fragile vessel to speak your truth to us this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Would you like to grab a seat? Well, good morning. I want to extend my welcome um, as well. I'm Sam, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm glad that people turned up. I just thought, who, who's going to come two days after Christmas? But here you are, so um, thank you for encouraging um, and uh, me not being here by myself, because that would be kind of awkward. Nothing worse than preaching to yourself, so thanks, Paul. Um, but yes, so if you are here for the first time, welcome. Um, we are actually finishing up our series on Esther today. So um, if you haven't been here for the last five weeks or so, um, this is kind of like a a crash course in Esther. So we're going to jump into Esther and I'll I'll try and do a two-minute recap of the entire book of Esther. Um, So try and stay with me. Okay, so Go back uh, about 500 uh, BC and we've got the Jews who have been kicked out of Israel uh, by the Babylonian Empire. King Nebuchadnezzar come rolling on in with his army and defeats uh, Israel, defeats Jerusalem and sends them off to Babylon. And then the Persian Empire rises up and conquers the Babylonian Empire and uh, releases all the captives and sets the people free in Babylon. And the king of Persia was Xerxes that we we read about in Esther and Nehemiah. And uh, they um, have this this guy called Haman that comes up in the ranks. And it turns out Haman is actually an ancient enemy of Israel. And uh, so he he has this problem with Mordecai. Um, Mordecai doesn't help the situation and um, the plan is set in motion to wipe out the Jewish people. Uh, Haman has got to be in his bonnet and wants to wipe out the, the Jewish people entirely. And uh, so there's a big problem. The problem still remains um, that there was this day that was set forth uh, to annihilate the Jewish people. And the king had actually supported this motion and had sent out an edict saying, hey, you can do whatever you want to the Jewish people and take all their plunder on this set day. And uh, then the king uh, has a change of heart. And uh, with Esther, um, he, he comes around and actually decides to support the Jewish people now. And a big story, and if you've got time, I encourage you to read Esther in entirety. It, it's, a, it's a book that's hard to take one snapshot and make any sense of. So it's a, good to have a good understanding of what's happening here. But uh, there's, this, there's this celebration that happens because the king 
has decided to come on board. He sends an edict out, which is basically like a statement or contract saying that the governments in their provinces need to support the Jewish people. That's, a, that's my dumbed-down version of uh, Esther chapter 8 and 7. So um, please read that and, um, yeah, you get a lot out of it. It's a great story. Uh, so we're going to pick it up on chapter 9, verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to open them, or you can open this one and uh, journey along with this. All right, this is NIV. I like NIV. It's good. All right, 9, verse 1. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar... Uh, I probably said that wrong, Adar, Adar. The edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the peoples of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, or satraps uh, the governors and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Meanwhile, verse 16, Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them but did not lay hands on their plunder. This happens on the 13th day of the month of Adar and on the 14th day... They rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Verse 20, uh, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them, to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And no, that's not where we get Christmas from. So we can obviously see the similarities there. But um, what, what I'm getting at, the, the Jewish people, they, they conquered and they, they uh, had the support of the king and they overcame and it was a giant big celebration. And um, I, I trust that you guys have enjoyed celebrating Christmas. And maybe, maybe the waistline is not celebrating, but um, I trust that you've enjoyed celebrating. And we, we like to arrive, don't we? We, we like to, to get there. I mean, some of us have been planning for Christmas for months. Now, I know my wife has been planning presents and food and all that. I started planning Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> But some of us have been planning for a long time. We've been looking forward to Christmas and we want to arrive and we want to just get there. And then Boxing Day is like this day of, oh, thank goodness. You know, it's like it was great, but then it's, it's glad it's over. So they've arrived. And so often we want to paint ourselves into the story of Esther um, that we have arrived and that we're in this place of, it is all done. We finished our mission, or we, we just we're done. We we want to be there so badly at the finish line, uh, but we need to realize that that's not the party that we're at now. If we're going to paint ourselves into the story of Esther, we need to realize that there's a second party that existed. There's a second party that happened that we often skim over. And this is the party that we're at, and it's in chapter 8. So we're going to scroll back to chapter 8, and this is the time that King Xerxes decides to fight for the Jewish people. 
And uh, so typologically, I want to read in and see Jesus in the story because it's very important that we see uh, Jesus as uh, very much involved and he is reflected in this story. So verse 15, And the city of Susa, 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 held a joyous celebration for the Jews. It was a time of happiness, of joy, gladness, and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. They held a huge party knowing that the king was for them. And I want to encourage us to sort of take a step back and look at, you know, we're in a stage of life where we are celebrating and a joyous, particularly Christmas, a joyous time knowing that our king has come to earth to fight for us. Jesus has come down from heaven to fight for us. That is, that is worth celebrating. And that's, that's why I love Christmas so much because it's like God could have left us on our own to, to roll around in our pain and sin and muck. But he came down, he stepped down to heaven to engage and to rescue us. And that is worth celebrating. That is worth sticking the Christmas tree lights up. That is worth uh, eating and, and enjoying and giving presents and, and having this festive uh, heart. So I, I trust that we take that and we, we, we look at the big picture and, of uh, what Jesus has actually done. Jesus has come to fight for us. He's fighting with us. The king wasn't the end of the story. The king coming didn't bring the end of the story for the Jewish people, the king getting involved and fighting for them, but it put an end to the despair. Jesus coming to earth puts an end to despair in our lives. The king fighting for the Jewish people put an end to their hopelessness. Now they knew they had the empire was behind them. The whole empire was fighting for them and with them. And, and that uh, changes their thinking and it changes our thinking when we realize that the creator of the universe is fighting for you, is fighting with you. He is for you. Jesus is for you. He's not against you. And it's a truth that we need to lay hold of and, and let that resonate through our thinking. Jesus is fighting for us. And there's three promises that, that Jesus gives that I think is really, really cool that help us to understand that. And that's in John 16, verse 33. And uh, these three promises are, are found in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The first one is, I have take, I have, uh, in this world you will have peace in me. You'll have peace in me. The second one is, in this world you'll have trouble. And the third one is, take heart, I have overcome the world. But we, we skip over the second one, don't we? We're like, you know, lay hold of God's promises, yes and amen. And we're like, you will have problems and you'll have troubles in your life. And I don't hear a lot of amens. Like, it's, it's not something we like, we don't get excited by that prospect. But problems and troubles shouldn't surprise us. And sometimes as Christians, we're so fixated on arriving at this final celebration, we miss that we're still working through, we're still in a war, we're still in a battle, there's still a lot going on for us to work through. And we have an enemy who's actively working against us. And so we need to remind ourselves of these truths, these three truths, that Jesus is, in, in him we have peace, but we will still have problems and troubles, but Jesus has overcome. And it's important for us to understand that. And like the Jews, they were preparing for battle. 
They had to celebrate the coming of the king involved in their lives, but then they had to prepare for a battle. They had to prepare for war. They weren't static. They weren't um, drinking and celebrating for the, for the next nine months. They were training and equipping, getting ready for battle. And I think that there's a reality that for us, we celebrate coming of Jesus, but then we don't just sit on our couch and watch it on, on, on stand on Netflix. You know, we, 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 it's something that are calling us to engage and prepare for. So how do we prepare for what's coming? Well, how do we do that preparation? What does that preparation look like? Do we dig a doomsday bunker? Because that sounds really cool. Like, I, I really want a doomsday doom preppers bumper, bunker. Have you guys seen doomsday preppers? So cool. Like, like, I could be a doomsday prepper if it wasn't for Jesus in my life. Um, I could be there in a heartbeat. And, but, like, is that how we prepare for what's coming? Do we start a commune? Like, I could start a commune. That would be cool. Like, getting all my... All of you guys are invited, okay? And we'll go start at this little commune and we'll be up on a hill and we'll put up a big fence and like keep everyone out. That would be cool. I could do that. But is that how we prepare? The, the reality is, is how we prepare is, is engaging and building an intimacy and a relationship with Jesus. That is our preparation, that how we engage of what is to come. That is what we're called to do. There's a lot of confusion sometimes in Christian circles because Jesus says it is finished and we sometimes think, oh, Jesus has said it's finished, there's nothing for me to do, I am just resting on all he has done. Yes, that's true, but it's not. See, his mission was finished. Jesus accomplished everything. He defeated sin. the, The curse was broken when Jesus died and rose again. It is finished, but it continues through you. You are the sequel to Jesus' mission on earth. How cool is that? Now, I've been watching Mandalorian. Is anyone else watching Mandalorian? So cool. Um, Star Wars. Um, But it's a sequel, and it's like this continuing storyline of Star Wars, and it's awesome. I reckon it's better than the original. But the sequel is amazing, and it can be an amazing thing. But you are that amazing sequel in Christ. Through faith, his spirit living and active in you continues the mission of Jesus of building his kingdom. How exciting is that? But that's, that's something that is actively we need to actively engage in i know that god you are always at work but your work was finished on the cross yet continues in and through me today you are the sequel to god's mission in jesus what an amazing thing and so jesus's mission on earth he was successful i want to be successful in continuing and i want a successful sequel you know how some sequels just suck you know, they just really, you know, like the second and third version are just like, what are they doing? They like missed the whole point. Um, I want to be a sequel that doesn't suck. I want to be a sequel that continues and continues to glorify God and to draw people to him and change culture, change community, change lives. But how does that happen? What makes a, su- a successful sequel? And um, I'm going to take a step back now because what, hold that question in the back of your minds. Uh, what makes you successful in your pursuit of remaining faithful to what God is calling you to? Um, there, I, I, I was watching this show that was looking at, there's a group of researchers that were trying to work out what makes someone successful. And they went through all the different things. They went through IQ, they're trying to work out, does intelligence determine the success of someone 
Um, does emotional intelligence, EQ, does that determine the success of someone? Um, does uh, the amount of hair on their head determine the success? No, I'm sure they didn't do that. Um, but they went through all the different attributes of people, you know, like their, their background, their society influence, their socioeconomic standing, their family, their lineage, their heritage, their DNA. They went through all these different factors to try and determine what makes someone successful. And do you know what they came up with? One thing stood out. I wonder if you know what it is. And if I say it's four letters, you'll automatically say love, because that's kind of like a Christianese answer. Um, it's not love, okay? The thing that makes people successful in life and is the, the greatest determining factor in whether someone will accomplish or become something significant in life is grit. Grit. Would you have said grit? No. What is grit? You know, you get grit in your teeth if you don't brush you, you know. What is grit? What is grit? And the, the definition of grit that I really, really like is this. It's sheer determination. Sheer determination. It is pushing through. It is going on. It is in spite of troubles and hardships. It is saying, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep pushing on and I'm going to keep pushing through. And regardless of where someone is at, and these, these researchers have found that regardless of the, the situation or scenario or context of someone, someone who has grit is likely to be successful. Grit. So what is grit? How do we get it? I want, I want a bucket load of grit in my life. How do I get a bucket load of grit? What is it? How do I have that determination? Is it something that just grows on trees? Can I buy it? Can I, you know, what is it? I think it's, it's, a, it's really important for us to realize that there is a spiritual dimension to grit. There's a spiritual reality of, of fighting, of, of standing, of, of challenging, of, of not giving up. You know, the New Testament is right through the New Testament. Uh, Jesus and the apostles of Paul and Peter, and, t- and they write letters encouraging each other to persevere and uh, to show grit. They write letters of grit building, of determination, don't give up. In spite of the troubles, in spite of the hardships, I want you to develop grit. And, and, and so that, that is a reality we see right through the New Testament. Jesus told a story about a persistent widow who, who, who kept going back for justice, kept going back to the judge, and it's like, I'm going to keep going back, keep going back. And Jesus's, his point was, I want you guys to be persistent. I want you to show some grit. I want, to, I want you to show some grit in your faith. Because we can show grit in life, and we can be arrogant and stubborn, and we can just like, I'm not giving up, and dig our heels in. But I, I, what I want to suggest today is that for us to be successful in God's mission for us in life, we need to develop a spiritual grit that says, I am not giving up, holding on to Jesus. Not giving up. I'm going to keep holding on. In spite of the problems, in spite of the troubles and all the hardships that life is throwing at me right now, I am not going to stop spending time with him, believing, have faith, trusting, praying, engaging, meeting, going to life groups, going to church, getting involved in his community that's going to build me up and develop the spiritual grit in life of not giving up. 
persistence, this celebration comes with a challenge, we often need to remind ourselves of the reality that the war has already won. Jesus has won the war, and yet we still fight. It's a bit of a paradox, but we need grit to see us through, to stand firm in the promises of God, to stand firm, but it means to stand against, and it often means standing against popular opinion. Grit. Are we developing grit in our lives or are we letting society and pressure push over us? And just like in Esther, as we celebrate the coming of the king, it also means this preparation stage. Uh, Sun Tzu in the, um, the book called the Art, the Art of War says, in times of peace, prepare for war. And I, I like that snapshot because it's in that whatever season of life you're in, we need grit to prepare for what God is doing in our lives to come. And so whether you're in a season of peace right now and everything's honky-dory and it's just beautiful, grit, determination, hold on to Jesus. We don't hold on to Jesus just in the storm. Hold on to Jesus all the time. And it's, it's a beautiful relationship that starts to grow. And it's, Jesus is not just a life rescue boat. He's not just like, when I'm in trouble, I'm going to hang on to him. It's a relationship he wants us to persevere in. And I think that that shows one of the greatest, hard, one of the hardest things for me is showing grit and determination to spend time with God when everything is comfortable. When I'm in a place of comfort and things are going well, there's money in the bank, my kids are healthy and uh, happy, and my wife is happy, um, life is swell, um, am I pushing into God? Am I stepping in and engaging and spending time and making God a priority? Or is God a reaction? Am I reactionarily going to him? Because I want to challenge us today that if we prepare, like the Jewish people as they're preparing, we prepare by building intimacy. I have this mate in my life who, he's not going to win any awards for the best counsellor of the year. Um, I've got a few of them actually. But uh, I've got this mate in my life who, he has this saying that he keeps telling me and I love it. At first I was really offended. And um, maybe this will offend you, but keep this in context. Um, He said to me, Sam, you need to harden up, princess. So that's that's your take-home message for today is harden up, princess. Um, I've always wanted to say that from a pulpit. Um, And please redirect all emails to Paul as I'm now on holiday. (laughs) But harden up, princess. And, and what, what, what this did to me is it was someone who, who saw me being in a place of apathy, giving up, being depressed, being, you know, I know that there's a, um, the mental health is a very big issue, so I'm not trying to simplify it or downplay it, but what I really needed to hear at that time was, Sam, you need to have some grit in your life and choose well. What are you going to do? You're in a place of hardship. You're in a place where you're, you're frustrated. You're, things are not working well in your life right now. What is your response? And I had other friends that were like, oh, it's all good. It's just a season. It'll pass. And, and that didn't help me. But this one guy, he just, he, he just called me out. He said, Sam, harden up, princess. And I needed that kick. I needed that Uh, that someone encouraging me, speaking truth and life into me. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to hear a message of harden up princess or prince or whatever that, that looks like for you of developing grit is a mental decision. It is an attitude of I am not giving up. This year has been a tough year. It has been long. 
It, there's been, like, we started off with bushfires, and then we, you know, like, what, I can't even remember the bushfires, it's just gonna be eclipsed by corona. But we had a huge, monumentally massive year. It's, that's, a lot of people are just like, ugh. I'm like, ugh. I, I just don't have much left, you know, I'm just like mentally, uh, you know, and so this, this came to mind um, a number of weeks ago, and I just, I love my friend, you know, he, you know who you are, um, who, who just challenges me again and again to harden up and not harden our hearts. I'm not saying have hard hearts. I'm not saying that at all. Keep the context in, in scope. Um, but I need to choose to not give up and to persevere. But I needed that person to champion me, to push through and to not give me a nice cliche answer, but to really challenge who I am You see, I'm really, 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 really good at making excuses. I'm really, really, really good at making excuses of why I don't spend time with God. Like, I've got this awesome Netflix show, Facebook, Facebook, oh, lots of excuses there. Jobs, the kitchen's dirty, I need to do the dishes, I need a vacuum. Um, I need a coffee, I need another coffee. Um, I need a third coffee. Like, I, I I can come up with a thousand good reasons of why I don't spend time with God. And that's where I need this, this grit of, you know what, I'm going to prioritize God in my life. I'm going to make him Lord and King, and my actions are going to reflect that. What does that look like in my life? Yeah, I'm really bad when it comes to tax returns. I hate doing tax returns, bass statements and, and all this. It's, I'll find a thousand excuses to not do them. But they need to be done. And, 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 I'm, and, and it's, if I wait till desire hits for me to do my tax, they'll never, it'll never happen. It'll never, never, never happen. But I need to just choose to make it a priority, to get it done. And I'm not saying that we just you know, begrudgingly do relationship with God. I'm saying it's a mental attitude to make him Lord, make him king. Sometimes we might disagree with what the king says. Sometimes we might battle against him, but he still wants us to meet with him. And as we meet with him, he changes our heart. He he grows fruit in our lives. He does an incredible work in our lives where we keep meeting with him. So who is championing you? I wonder, who who is it that's championing you? Who is telling you to harden up, princess? Who is is telling you to to pick up your Bible and and engage in him? Who is championing you to spend more time in prayer, to know him, the richness of his glory? See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he championed Timothy. And he wrote letters. We can read about that first and second Timothy. and And like... Even though he didn't use these words, I can see these words in those books of Harden Up Princess. Like, um, Timothy, I want you to... to he, used, he used very encouraging, forceful words to encourage him to persevere. And, and I think this applies for everyone, that there's a role that, as Christians, we are championing people and also being championed. And that is where life groups kicks in. That is where, that is where getting involved, surrounding yourself in Christian community, people who are going to speak into your life in love, but also leave a message of a challenge that is from God. Who is in your life? If you don't have someone, maybe start exploring in your mind. Is God putting someone in your life for you to reach out and connect with, to either champion them or to be a champion for them? Never give up. Your spiritual grit is your determination to maintain dependency on God. It's not trying to make yourself better. There's a billion books about, you know, try to be a better person. You can do it. And I'm not saying that, you know, hey, you can't do anything. I'm just saying that 
God is wanting to do the work in your life, but it comes out of remaining connected to him. John 15, 5, remaining connected into the vine. That is how we develop and grow. See, failure becomes a reality when we stop getting back up and stop connecting with him. We need to put ourselves in a place of growth, in a place of relationship. I think that's really, really key that we continue to press into him. Hebrews 10, 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now, I love this picture. I don't know if you've seen this picture. It's been around for like ages because I had this on my wall when I was a kid. And this is a picture that's always stuck in my mind and it's a, it's a frog that's, that's um, getting eaten. Uh, but he's not giving up and he's not, he's, he's not letting it happen. And um, to me, this has been a constant reminder of when life was tough to not give up. And, uh, and I want to I leave this mental image with you because I think it's, it's important for us to realize that it's an attitude of not giving up, of holding on to Jesus, of holding on to him. And young people, I want to encourage you, you probably don't have the, the, the beautiful time to be actually look back over your life and see God at work. But as you get older, you see more and more of God's faithfulness at work in your life. And so that's why I say, young people, listen to your parents. I mean that because they have perspective in your life. They have perspective. And when they say and they see God's hand and faithfulness at work in your life, listen to them. Because when you're young, you can't see it. It's when you start to look back, you start to see the faithfulness of God when you hang on to him and you hold on to him and his promises. Such a beautiful thing. I'll leave you one thought. There's, um, next week, it's the 27th today, next week is gym sign-up day for the world, right? Everyone's going to the gym to sign up and better themselves and to work off that waistline that they put on yesterday and the day after, the day before. So um, gym sign-up day. But I can guarantee you no one has ever gone to the gym and then walked home, looked in the mirror and said, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> did they? Like, you don't, I mean, maybe you did. If you did, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you, but, but really... Well, you don't go to the gym to, to, to have an instant effect. And, and what I'm saying is, that with this spiritual de- grit and determination in life to make a successful, for you to be a part of God's plan and purposes and to have success in your life, both, both materially and spiritually and physically and health, it, it, the determination is going back to God continually. When you start going back to the gym the second day, you're, you're sore. The third day, you're like, hey, I can do this. And after three weeks, or maybe if it's me, it's like six months, you're like starting to feel better. And you're like, hey, I'm stronger. Hey, I'm, I'm developing. Hey, I'm actually wanting to eat healthy. And it changes a whole lot of things in your life. And it starts to, to change your reality. And when we keep going back to God, spending time with him, it changes your reality. But it takes an attitude of determination. And sometimes it's, suck it up, princess. It might be hard right now, but I want you to keep coming back to me and spend time with me because I haven't finished with you yet. 
I'm still going to work in you. I want to develop and grow you. I want to show you my goodness. I want to show you my faithfulness and who I am and my heart and my love for you. But it's only as I keep going back that we start to experience this bestest life. Yeah, I'm going to just cut it there. I think that's good. Um, I'm going to just ask the, the team to come up and I'd love to just pray. And I, I trust that as we read through the pages of Esther and we start to see God in the background, that as we start to spend time with him, we actually start to see God at work in the foreground. And so God moves from the background of the story into the foreground of the present. See, God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, but we can see his handiwork at play. King Jesus has stepped into battle for you. This is a celebration for us to lay hold with. I'm going to just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today I pray that we will be challenged to have and develop a spiritual grit of determination, of perseverance, to lay hold of you and to never let go. Lord, that we would make relationship and intimacy with you a highest priority in our lives and we wouldn't give up. Lord, challenge our excuses. Challenge us on our reasons for not meeting you. Lord, and, and lay it, please not this, let this not be a place of guilt. Lord, that we don't meet with you out of a place of guilt. But Lord, that you would encourage our heart to meet with you and we'd enjoy the time with you and we would enjoy getting to know you and reflecting on who you are. Lord, we want you to be a part of our journey. We want to welcome you into our lives, into our thinking, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, Lord, that as we spend time with you, as we bathe in your presence, that you do a transformative work in our lives. So Lord, I pray right now that you would encourage us that you would help us champion those around us, that you would speak life and truth and through love to the people around us. And maybe, just maybe, may we receive that challenge to harden up and to develop a spiritual grit of determination, sheer determination to never give up in spite of all the hardships in life. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you you came to earth. And this is not the end, that we have a hope in you. We have a future in you. Lord, that you love us so profoundly. May we start to realize the depth of and richness of your love for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.